This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And today we have an excellent episode for you. It's a good one. We've got uh, John Shurstabatov with Osenko, uh, a multinational engineering firm. And John is the principal in Seismic and Structures Department. And uh, he's going to talk to us today about how prepared Vancouver is for the big one. Yeah, well, how how prepared Vancouver is and, and what as homeowners and potential home buyers we can do to make sure that the places we buy are uh, best suited for an earthquake. So if you're, if you are concerned about an earthquake, you know, strap what decisions, well, what decisions can you make to make sure that your family is uh, taken care of should there be an earthquake, which yeah. uh, inevitably it looks like there, there's a huge percentage. It sounds potential like there's that, about a 30% chance in the next 50, 70 years or something. Did you like read that. that? Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's an actual fact. Yeah, we'll, we'll link yeah. to that in the show if Matt can produce that stat. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so before we uh, before we get to John, maybe you know Matt, we've actually been through an earthquake. Yeah, that was uh, that was some time ago, but we've both experienced the same earthquake. It was two thousand and one. El Salvador had the big one, seven point seven uh, on the Richter scale, I believe. Right. Right. Um, yeah, at the time we were both uh, there teaching English, and uh, we were in in a little town called Metapan, uh, close to the Guatemalan border. Yep. And, yeah. uh, 
Well, you were so. So what? What was your? I, I don't actually like, even remember yeah, what. But I remember my experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, my experience was. Uh, yeah, I was reading a book uh, by myself in the house we rented. There was there was four of us there, and um, the the houses in El Salvador are very. Um, They're concrete. Yeah, concrete houses, um, but the floors are concrete, and I just remember when it happened. I wasn't sure what was happening, but the floor was. It was like waves on the floor. I was watching the floor. I thought I was having a, uh, some sort of drug flashback, even though I've never tried drugs. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then and what, did, what was your first response? Like, what did you do? Uh, I, I just, I literally just sat there and, uh, held onto the chair. Uh, and, uh, it was a very strange feeling when the, when the floor was, it was like I was on waves and, um, and then it stopped and I, uh, kind of started reading my book again, but you were in the school we taught well, I was in the center of the city. I was at a I was at a school. It was it, for kids up to I think about uh, grade nine or so. And I was teaching a class. I had a, a room full of about thirty students, and I was on the second floor. Your Spanish was not so hot. At the I time had, I had horrible Spanish. It's also you know. probably pr- pretty terrible right now. Uh, significantly better, <laughs> but uh, but still pretty terrible. So. I was teaching. Uh, I was teaching a class of about thirty students or so, and um, I just remember I was standing up, and everybody was kind of sitting down, and we were going over the lesson for the day, and then the floor just started rippling, and it was actually it was a tile floor, and literally it was it looked like a wave, like it was actually like it, you know just yeah. ripples of very a wave si- going through the building. And you were on the second floor. I was on the second floor and kids just stood up. They knew what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. El Salvador has a lot of earthquakes, though this was a a very large one. This was a very, yeah, 7.7. That's a very large earthquake. They started, literally, everybody went for the stairs. I was standing there. I didn't know. And every kid was yelling, terremoto, terremoto, terremoto. Right. And what was, did you know what that meant? No. I was thinking, actually, who is... Who's Terry Moto? Who is this Terry Moto? He could have been a Salvadorian <laughs> singing sensation. That showed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, it totally, uh, it, it terrified me. That and means everybody, that means earthquake, by the way. Yeah, Terry Moto means earthquake in, in Spanish. But we, everybody went down the stairs, in, including myself. I followed suit. We all went to the center of the street, and uh, yeah, the rest is the rest is history. A lot of people actually. It turned out that it was it was. A, huge problem for the kind of the more rural countrysides in areas that were on elevated land where there were a lot of landslides, highways that were really impacted. But I think a couple hundred people died, if I remember correctly. Um, well, yeah, and it actually catastrophic. It, it does, and it speaks to our episode today because the people that were buried in those landslides were poor people who were building up the side of these mountains um, and right. obviously almost shanty towns not uh, prepared for an earthquake. And, and I remember some of the the adults that we we taught English to who were sort of well-to-do were saying that, you know, if you have money, you don't build on the side of mountains for that reason. Um, Right. Hmm. So it does speak to kind of a a lack of preparedness um, that that British Columbia is definitely trying to avoid. Which seems the opposite when you think of West Vancouver. Good views from up there on the side of those mountains. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to, actually, just before we get to John's uh, interview, the Earlier this month in November, uh, the BC government uh, just announced a province-wide monitoring and early warning system that's going right. to be introduced into the Lower Mainland. The nice thing about it, and you know, it is a first step, but right now they're just kind of gathering information. They're soliciting ideas on how to expand the existing framework so that they can provide early warnings of earthquakes to residents via internet 
phone or television. Right. Um, which is, I, th- I think, a huge step, and I think uh, I think anyone would agree that that's something that that is needed. I guess the big thing is if if you aren't educated on on what to do in the case of a an earthquake, I don't know how beneficial this this would be. I mean, what would your what would be your first step if you were to get a warning? Yeah, well, on your I, cell phone, I, I think mine would be to to go into a a park area where somewhere nothing, in a, nothing could fall on me would be my that yeah. would be my but yeah, that's my gut. That's your I, I don't. Uh, I, I think I'm. I'm more of a bury your head in the sand type guy when it comes to thinking about earthquakes. Yeah. So I don't have a clue. You're actually the person that probably should uh, start to figure out what you should do. You're right. You're right. And you know what? This is a good fa- first step. Our uh, <laughs> our discussion here with John. So without further ado, here is our conversation with John Shurstabatov. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with John Shurstabatov, Principal of Seismic and Structures at Osenko. How are you doing, John? Uh, good, thanks. Perfect. Can you start by maybe just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, yes. Uh, so, again, I've, I've been working in the, uh, in, in the seismic upgrading industry now for about uh, 26 years here at BC. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a structural engineer. Uh, some of the things related to you know to the the, the seismic and earthquake engineering, uh, I'm the uh, I'm the chair of the standing committee on earthquake design. Uh, that's the committee that sets the uh, earthquake design provisions for the national building code. And uh, you know within that there's uh, two subcommittees, uh, one dealing with uh, base isolation and supplemental energy dissipation for for earthquake design, and 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 a new one for performance based design and and resilience. Uh, resilience being, you know, the where, where we're all trying to get to, and so that's I'm involved uh, heavily in that as well. You're the guy for this next question. Then, how prepared is Vancouver and the Lower Mainland uh, more generally for for an earthquake? Well, you know, that's you know, that's uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. It has sort of many facets to it, and uh, you know, because the whole earthquake preparedness. One aspect is response. You know, after an earthquake occurs. And both, I, I think, you know, emergency management in BC, uh, places like the city of Vancouver, you know, they, they've all got good plans in, in place and getting better for the response aspect after an earthquake occurs. Um, the, and, and, and again, a lot of utilities that I've, you know, we've done uh, work with, such as you know, Metro Vancouver, BC Hydro, Fortis, you know, they've done a lot of work over the last uh, number of years hardening, you know, the systems that bring, you know, bring water, bring power, bring gas uh, to the communities uh, as far as the transmission side. Um, you, know, you know, between their systems and the local houses, there may be some challenges, but in the big picture, they've done well. Uh, it's just that on the, on the preparedness side from a mitigation point of view before the earthquake happens, now that's you know that's the ongoing challenge is to you know how do we uh, you know balance you know I think the need to upgrade as much as we can uh, versus funding and and you know that's where of course you know I think we all know we could do better uh, the Ministry of Education as many people are aware have a you know a very good program in place upgrading schools over the next you know completing that over the next number of years. Right. 
Um, but there's still many buildings that you know are in need of seismic upgrade to at least achieve a, a life safety performance level. Right. Okay. So from your vantage point, how do we rate compared to other regions um, that you know obviously have have experienced earthquakes in in recent years, such as Japan or the U.S. or Chile? Yeah, that's uh, you know again that's interesting. The you know places like Japan and Chile have have seen you know, the most of the three you've mentioned, the most devastating earthquakes mm-hmm. uh, as far as both loss of life and, 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 you know, economic impact. So as a result, uh, you know, they've really ramped up their, you know, their preparedness and mitigation and all, all related to earthquakes. You know, U.S. would be perhaps one step down from them. You know, they've definitely had significant events. Um, you know, and as a result, you know, they are, you know, they are prepared. Certain cities like San Francisco have, you know, very advanced plans as far as mitigation. Other cities, you know, perhaps less or so. Um, you know, and in one aspect, uh, I know that they're actually very envious of our school upgrade program, you know. In that aspect, we're probably ahead of them on, on, on that aspect. So, you know, so U.S. is probably ahead of us in certain areas and, and perhaps not as, as well in others. And again, that's, that's the challenge is that we haven't had that, you know, that big devastating earthquake, thankfully, um, you know, that, that we have this sort of uh, public requirement that, you know, that to, to ramp up things in a very rapid manner which these other countries have. So can we maybe talk a little bit about the the history and the changes that have taken place with seismic codes? Our current seismic code, when was that put into effect in BC and are they as effective as as they could be in your opinion? Yeah, the the you know the current uh, the current building code in BC, uh, BC building code 2012, uh, that's based on a national building model from 2010. Uh, so the national code has just been upgraded, uh, 2015, and that's just been released. And the province is actually looking as to see how quickly they can implement that into into the into the BC building code. So that'll happen very shortly. And at a national level, you know, the national building code is updated every five years. So you know, every five years, the best science is brought, you know, to to building design, you know, not just with earthquakes, but uh, for all aspects of of, of building design. Um, so in that sense, there's a good plan to keep improving, and 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 you know, so our current codes, are they effective? Uh, yes, I mean they're effective. The the I think there's one thing that the public perhaps doesn't understand well about building codes with regards to earthquakes is the the current building codes, and historically they've always been this way, is to is to is to achieve life safety for a regular building. So let's say, you know, a residential tower, uh, the intent, if the design earthquake uh, strikes, the intent is so that everybody in that building is safe and everybody can get out of the building. And that's what the, the code is intended to achieve. It's not intended to achieve that everybody can for certain return and use that building. On, on another aspect, though, the code requires for schools, for example, more important buildings that perhaps it, it you know, some damage and maybe there's a, a good, a good probability they can go back and use the schools. And then similarly for hospitals, the code requires a, a higher level of design where there's, you know, a good probability that they can be uh, usable after an earthquake. But you know, every building is unique. Every building will behave a bit different, but that's you know that's where the codes are. And I think sometimes the public perceives that uh, the build you know the building codes result in earthquake-proof buildings. Right. Um, but but that's that's not the current status of the codes. 
But the code is revised every five years, if I understand? The code is revised every five years. And actually, it's, you, know, on, you know, on this topic, there's, there really is a worldwide movement to, to something called performance-based design, uh, you know, so that perhaps if the public says, look, I, I really want my residential tower to be functional after the design earthquake and, and certain parts of the world are moving that way because, you know, the cost, both economic and disruption to community uh, is huge if you can't use as much of your community and infrastructure right after that earthquake. So, you know, the the, the, the new bridge code in Canada, 2014, uh, the first time ever, a performance-based approach. And, and, you know, worldwide, there's a movement to get building codes uh, on a performance-based approach. And I guess, you know, we'll see where the National Building Code is uh, and how close it can get there in 2020. What types of, of private buildings are at significant risk? Would it be single-family homes, uh, condo buildings? So when you say, you know, as far as private buildings... Um, and again, uh, you know, uh, when we talk about this stuff, it's, it's it's really important for, you know, whoever the the listener, listeners are to understand that you know every building really is unique when it comes you know to an earthquake. Right. You know, the earthquake is unique, uh, the building is unique, and how it performs. The soil that it sits on affects the performance, and that can change from one block to the next. So you can have an identical building two blocks away, and depending on the soils, they could behave very differently. But from a, on a general, you know, on a, on a general thing, you know, so, you know, single family homes, maybe, you know, pre-60s when, you know, there wasn't a lot of rigor on, on earthquake design, um, you know, perhaps, you know, they have, they have some risk. But if they have a lot of partition walls, few windows, you know, well-constructed, good anchorage to the foundations, probably okay. And if they don't, you know, probably, probably at some risk. Unreinforced masonry, concrete blocks, brick, stone that have no reinforcing historically have performed very poorly uh, in, uh, in in earthquakes. And those are buildings usually, again, from the 1960s and earlier before codes required reinforcing in most of these. <clears throat> and then there's a, a category called uh, that we call non-ductile concrete. Again, you know, maybe pre-1970s buildings here in, in BC, they're they're heavy concrete. They're very brittle, um, and they perform well for certain sizes of earthquakes. And when that size is exceeded, they can actually perform very poorly. So those are the, you know, the, you know, as a as sort of a generalization. Um, but again, you know, unless you do an, an assessment of each building, some may actually be brilliant in those categories I mentioned, and some may actually be even worse. So how about wood frame construction? It doesn't sound like there's any kind of generalizations that you can make about buildings in, in terms of how they'll perform, but there has been kind of a shift where we've seen wood construction buildings being built to kind of exceptional and, and groundbreaking heights. Uh, do you see any problems with wood wood frame? Well, uh, again, these you know the the ones that are going to these uh, you know to these higher heights uh, here in BC, those follow those are all you know those are all engineered structured uh, engineered structures designed to the current codes uh, designed to perform well in earthquakes. So those 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 should perform just fine. Uh, it's 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 these ones in the you know 60s 70s where there's a, a shift perhaps from you know, a lot of interior partition walls to a lot of open concept, a lot of windows, and maybe not a lot of structure, and perhaps no engineering design. Those those can be, you know, can be vulnerable. There's, 
there's some of the, 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 the single family homes that had, you know, crawl spaces and cripple walls that perhaps weren't designed well, that those perhaps can topple over, you know, in that, in that cripple space. So there's, so there's, there's that sort of era of, of single family timber buildings that, uh, you know, that, that we've seen historically are vulnerable. It sounds like you're getting to this question a little bit before I ask it, but is there one piece of advice that you as a, an engineer and a seismic specialist could could give our listeners looking to, to purchase real estate here in the Lower Mainland? Yeah, buildings that typically are at risk in, in earthquakes are, you know, unreinforced masonry, you know, old historical brick buildings, stone buildings, you know, some of the perhaps pre-70s concrete, you know, high-rise condos perhaps can fall into that category, you know, and some of these, you know, historical timber buildings that have, you know, a lot of open space and perhaps not enough walls to, to, to hold them together well. Um, you know, and again, I, I think we all agree, you know, you know, Vancouver is still one of the best places in the world to live, and if you're coming here to buy some real estate, um, you know, again, if you do some due diligence as to, you know, when was the building built, uh, did it have any engineered design or not? And, and, and again, if, if the buyer is concerned, you know, it's, it's, it's not expensive to have a rapid seismic assessment done, you know, on that unique and specific building, you know, to see if it, you know, if, if it perhaps is of higher risk than another building that they might be considering. So, so I think, you know, those, those are the kind of things that if you're, if you're putting in, you know, in Vancouver, what might be millions of dollars, uh, you know, that level of due diligence, uh, is, I think, is readily available now. Okay. So, John, is there an area in Vancouver or the lower mainland that you think might be more at risk? Um, obviously, we don't know when the earthquake or if the earthquake will happen or which where it will hit exactly, but just generally speaking from land itself. Yeah, you always hear about Richmond, right? Yeah, and, and you know, and, and again, the... <clears throat> It's interesting. The when when an earthquake happens, uh, initially there's the strong shaking, and again, regardless of, of where you are, you know, I mean, you know, the building is going to be feel that strong shaking, and it's vulnerable for all the things we we talked about previously. In the Vancouver area, there's you know after the strong shaking, areas that are very of poor soil, you know, poor soil that can liquefy, such as in Richmond or such as you know, around, you know, river, river deltas, uh, you know, or on reclaimed land. So if it's, if those buildings perhaps survive the strong shaking, the trouble is they get that second, that second effect where the soil can liquefy and, and settle vertically. It can move horizontally. You know, it has the potential to, you know, to damage the building or the, or the, the pipes or, or power lines or whatever coming to the buildings. And yeah, so there's areas in Richmond, there's areas around False Creek, uh, you know, there's perhaps areas on the river deltas uh, coming into the, to the inlets. Yeah, so those areas, you know, again, have that second level of vulnerability after the strong shaking to, to be damaged as well. In your opinion, what, what steps, if any, can government or, or developers or individuals take to, to improve overall safety? I guess, you know, government, you know, because government, I guess, is looking at, uh, you know, public buildings. And, you know, sort of following in the, in the Ministry of Education, uh, you know, you know, what they've done for the schools, you know, I mean, if the government embarked on some form of a sustained, uh, program to upgrade all the, all the BCY public owned, uh, buildings, you know, and assign some sort of an annual fund uh, to do that on a sustainable manner, well, I think, you know, that's something that the government could do for the government buildings that some or all of us work or visit. 
Um, when it comes to private buildings, you know, that's, that's been the challenge, not just here, but, you know, worldwide is, is, you know, what can government or others do to, to other offer incentives for private owners to upgrade their buildings? You know, tax breaks, insurance breaks, some national infrastructure funding, uh, do these private, you know, if, if you're, if you're, uh, um, you know, a, a business, do you pass on the cost to the public? So, yeah, so, so uh, upgrading the public buildings has been, you know, a worldwide challenge as to how to, how to make that happen. And, uh, you know, there really is no, no one, one solution uh, fits all. So, yeah, I think government can definitely, um, you know, take steps to deal with government buildings. Now, whether it's provincial, municipal governments, what can they do to to help the private, you know, the private sector upgrade buildings? That's uh, that's that's the challenge. That's where it needs some, uh, you know, some uh, innovative thinking. Okay, I'm actually kind of impressed with how prepared uh, the Lower Mainland is. So my question, just as a as an off the top to wrap it up, is: Are we safe, or you know, are we doing everything we can? Everybody wants to do more. We should do more. Um, but it really, a lot of it comes down to money. You know, right. how do we balance the, all the other needs the government has to, you know, they have to pay for schools, they have to pay for health care, they have to pay for ongoing, you know, infrastructure upgrades. Every, I think everybody, I think everybody wants to do more from the government down to the individual. It, it really just comes down, how, how as a community do we do this, you know, spend the money now, it's that, you know, the, the, Whatever we spend now in mitigation, should something happen, it'll pay off, you know, 10, 20 times over. We right. know that. The world knows that. Everybody wants to do this mitigation now. Um, of course, we, we, we all want to do more. We, we just, we just need to find a, a way to do it. I think, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities to do it more. We should do it. You know, the, you know, again, it's, it's interesting. We had a safety presentation, re, you know, recently about how well are you, you know, prepared, you know, your safety when you go to a construction site and all these things. Once, once that incident or once that event happens, there's no going back. And and uh, and it's the same with earthquakes. Once it happens, there's no going back. Saying, "Gosh, I wish we would have prepared a lot more," because, you know, this is our chance. Uh, I think I think we should we should prepare as much as we can. Um, yeah, how how innovative can we can we be to get there? Well, John, we uh, we really appreciate your time today, yeah, and we also so really appreciate the work you've been doing with the city to uh, make sure that we are prepared. Good, my pleasure. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with John Shurstabatov, a super informative. Um, an excellent interview. And, you know, the one thing that I, I take away from that is he seems to think we're more prepared than I anticipated. And he seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, the media has a way, I think, of, of just kind of pointing to uh, the catastrophic kind of event where, yeah. you know, Vancouver's not prepared, but it's a, it's a bit of fear mongering. I, I don't know if that's... Uh, it might be useful, though, right? Because if it you, that, that's when people actually take action when they when they get a little bit scared so sure. telling people that we're good uh, is maybe not the best strategy but I'm glad to hear that we we are fairly prepared uh, there was a couple other things that were really interesting to me one was the difficulty I think more from a policy standpoint of of trying to get private residences 
earthquake ready just in terms right. of the the amount of money and, and and you know the lines drawn between uh public and private in in our society um and then second of all that there is this seismic analysis uh, that you can get done when you're buying a property i mean we have people ask us about earthquakes fairly regularly yep. um and we talk about updates to code and newer buildings but our knowledge is fairly limited and i've never actually had anyone order a test which i think is you know it's not a bad idea it's smart so if if you are concerned about potential of an earthquake maybe just just pay the, pay the price to get a seismic analysis by an engineer on your property and uh, just to make sure that you feel comfortable. Sleep well at night. So Matt, we are still doing our, our, our 100 review drive. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a couple new reviews in the last week or so. It warms a guy's heart. So thanks very much. And we're, we still got a ways to go though. So the push continues. Again, we appreciate it. Um, visit us on Facebook where the conversation continues. And uh, Matt, how can people reach you? You can give me a shout anytime, 778-847-2854 or an email at matt at scalinarealestate.com. And Adam? Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at scalinarealestate.com. And for the nonpartisan line? Info at scalinarealestate.com. So thanks a lot. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next time. 2,000 Faces for Radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.